I'm Cody Royal, and this is the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is a one-on-one discussion about the inner sanctum and features Stephen Caldwell, who captained Burnley and Sunderland into the English Premier League and also captained Toronto FC in Major League Soccer. He's a broadcaster with Canadian TV network TSN and the co-host of a football podcast. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, who have a special offer for you later in the show. But for now, enjoy the conversation. Bit of a different episode here. We've got Stephen Caldwell in studio. He's not on the phone. Yes, face to face. It's better like that, isn't it, Cody? Face to face. I'm usually staring at producer Adam. But, uh, <laughs> I'm staring you at your ugly, ugly mug now. face today. Yeah, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> That's all right. Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to talk about the inner sanctum and this idea of internal relationships and how they drive external results. Yeah. And, and you and I have jammed on this idea a lot. Uh, I wrote about a lot about what you've said about this topic in my book. Um, and so I was, I was really keen to grab a couple of those stories yeah. on tape and, uh, and get them out to the masses. So your career in, in football, you know, what we talked about when we we're doing the book interview was how much you valued relationships with your teammates and even your coaches. Uh, why was it so valuable to you? Because it's not something we traditionally associate yeah. um, within the sporting world, but for you, it was such a big piece. It's everything, Cody, to be honest. In, in my opinion, in, in professional sport, anything that I experienced, the, the, the communication side, the, the relationships that you uh, develop and work on, because that's what has to happen, um, create a level of accountability and responsibility within a sporting setting and uh, that, that is absolutely vital. It's absolutely crucial. And you can't get there without going through that process of getting to know people really well, Um it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, but to me it's such a vital part of it. It's just as vital as going to the gym and doing your rehab, prehab uh, preparation, your weights work, your, your strength conditioning training, uh, and obviously your technical and tactical stuff. To me, the development of the relationships, the communication that you you you, um, you breed and you try and develop within a squad uh, is everything, and I've saw that and I know successful examples of that and unsuccessful examples mm-hmm. of that where there's no collaboration within a squad you've got these different silos and these different groups and everybody's got their own agenda you just can never achieve success no and that same problem exists in the corporate world and this is why I like being in this space is because yeah. there's so much we can learn from those conversations that you guys are having in the locker room and, and what they're actually like because people never see that Yeah, they, they can hypothesise on it and you hear about it in the media but that's not really what it's like because there's it's it's on a different frequency, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you get so many ex-professionals saying they miss the, the locker room, they miss the changing room, they miss the, the banter, they always say, you know. But it's more than banter. It's more than mm-hmm. just, you know, what suit you bought last week or what car you want next month and all the things that we think professional football players, soccer players talk about. It's, it's, it's more than that. <laughs> it's just that... Um, band of brothers togetherness that is is um, a really special mix of, of personalities uh, and, and talents and nationalities and ethnicities and it's it's such a melting pot you know it's it's not uh, we were chatting you know off off mic earlier about you know the Lisbon Lions in 1967 the famous Celtic football club 
side that, that, that won the, the European Cup at the time, the Champions League now. And, mm-hmm. and they were all from the same place, same background, same working class environment. It's not like that now in, in any sport in, in the world. In, in soccer's, you know, completely um, cosmopolitan. You get different groups, uh, different nationalities, like I said. And so you've got to be understanding. You've got to be appreciative of the fact that everyone's a little bit different. Uh, everyone has their, their own methods and their own kind of um, unique upbringing. So um, mindful of that as you try and create this this band of brothers, this body of, of, of a squad, this, this group, this one way of thinking almost it's it's so difficult and yeah again back to the point all you have to do is talk just get in a room and talk to each other and get to know each other find out about your paraguayan teammate and and and, and why certain things are really important to him you know and have a little bit of understanding for his culture and eventually you just become one and it's it's such a amazing feeling when that happens yeah absolutely there's there's something else when that band of brothers comes together yeah. isn't there and, and it's hard to describe it's a, it's just a feeling yeah um but that's when they talk about you know we hear these stories about you manchester united's when they knew that they were going to win certain games and and that's what that feeling is you just yeah. know um and, and one of the things that you said that, that i really loved and is one of the key um lines in in the book that i wrote was you can't just turn on teamwork you yeah. have to you have to really work at it don't you and I, I think people are don't want to do it because they don't want to go and sit down and say like hey man can we have a chat yeah yeah it's weird that, because everybody's standoffish everybody wants to protect you know uh their fears and their yeah anxieties you know that we all have it and, and you know professional sport professional soccer has it in abundance because you're competing with people you've got the next guy you might be young might be older you've got a substitute or the squad player who's pushing you along and you're worried mm-hmm. about your next contract and everybody thinks this is a rosy world where everybody's you know uh, like I said buying cars and watches and <laughs> living the life every single day <laughs> that's not the reality the reality is you're concerned about your, your your next contract. You're concerned about staying in the team. You want to win. You don't want to let down fifty thousand fans. Right. Uh, you might be the Steven Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, David Beckham player, but you know they guys have their own uh, issues as well. Where they're world famous figures, they can't go anywhere without someone want to judge and, and and speak about what they're doing. And so. Um, it becomes easy to be very closed. And once you get yes. closed in a certain format of your life, then be, you just become closed in everything, don't you? And you, you, you become this robot and you try and just stay in your lane, do your own little thing. And when you get a group of players that are all doing their own little thing, it's horrible. You, you can't be successful. No. It's impossible. So what are the exercises? How do you how do you open that group up? If you're the leader, if you're the, the manager, the head coach, the CEO, the captain... How do you open that group up? What do you want to do? You know, again, back in the day, it was let's go to the pub and, you know, we'll all have yeah. a few beers. I still love that, but you have to be respectful of the fact not everybody wants to go to the pub. You know, is it a, do you go and play paintball? Do you, you know, go and, uh, I don't know what they call their rooms, panic rooms. When you're stuck <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the room, you got to work it away, <laughs> getting out of the room. You have to think of different ways to, to bond that group together and, and get them talking, get them uh, collaborating, get them... Uh, you know, uh, showing signs of teamwork's out with the training field, all of a sudden that just translates onto the training field. And if you have the right mix of talents and qualities, you're going to have a successful team. Yeah, that's one of the big things. And if you follow, 
any of the business magazines now on LinkedIn, you see all these articles from Harvard Business Review, and it's all about teamwork yeah. and trying to create the dynamics that we're talking about here. But it's funny because the way I interpret it is there's there's still a penchant for events like mm-hmm. you were just talking about, and yeah. we go paintballing, but that can't be it. It has to continue yeah. on, and you have to be very intentional about bringing that dynamic yeah. into the, the nine to five and having those conversations and, you know, not just kind of having the, the once yearly performance review. And that's the only time you sit down with, you know, the, the people on your team. Yeah. It's got to be a daily practice, doesn't it? It has. And, and the event is often the catalyst, you know, it's the, 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 yeah. the one big thing that kind of starts it. Maybe if it's a new group, for example, but you're right. It, it's not about, oh, you know, pick up this one thing every three months and we'll have great team spirit. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. It has to be an everyday thing. You have to live it. Mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot in my life. And, uh, you know, we talked about Bobby Robs earlier as well. And he used to say to us in training, I'll never forget, he had this thing and I'll try and imitate his accent. It'll be terrible. But he'd say, <laughs> it's your life. You know, he, he, he would say it like so passionately. It's your life. You know, this is your life. You have to live it. Uh, to be successful and it's the same with leadership same with teamwork you have to live it you have to uh, believe it it needs to be an everyday thing you don't just pick it up and and suddenly you get this great chemistry it's hours and hours of meal times and uh, lunch times you know my, my Burnley squad for example were you know the, the most successful Burnley team in decades mm-hmm. we would have lunch at the training ground uh, at the stadium sorry we'd, tra- we'd train and we'd drive back and change it and none of us wanted to leave We'd sit there till two thirty, and you know we'd look at our watches. We'd be saying, "We need to go home now," you know. And <laughs> it was not to do with anything bad was happening at home. It was just that we were so close and having such a laugh and winding each other up and you know talking about the game and not always serious stuff, but just getting to know each other mm-hmm. so well that Saturday came, things weren't going so well. Level of accountability was on the roof. You could just walk right up to your teammate, you know, get in his face. Tell him what was what was happening, what was yeah. going wrong. Not not that it was always confrontational, but really often it was. And there was a trust there because you knew that if that guy was doing that to you, he had your best interests at heart. He wanted you to succeed, so that he could succeed, so that we could succeed. You know yes. that was the key. Yeah, I love that. And that's a part that's missing as well. Is we need to be having conversations about this. It's not always roses. Yeah. There's times where that sometimes you need to, you know, uh, and again, you're not going to do this in the workplace necessarily, but, you know, grab someone by the scruff of the neck yeah. and say, you know, okay, pull yourself together. Like, you you know, get back to, to your game. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all struggling, but we can all pick it up together, don't you? Like, yeah. that, that confrontation has to be part of it because... It has to be there. It, it, it really does. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're not going to, in the workplace, you're not going to grab someone with a, with a shirt or... <laughs> but it's the verbal form of that, you know? Yeah. You know, you got to call somebody out if you feel they're underperforming, you know? And it's not a... It's not a blame culture. Not a blame culture at all. That That's comes from paranoia and mm-hmm. all the yeah. problems with dysfunctional teams. This is about getting the best out of your guy. So, you know, the way you deliver it is very important. Again, you don't know how to deliver it unless you know the person. So <laughs> I keep going back to the same thing. You have to have went through the communication process to get to know the, the, the guy or the girl that you're working with so that you can find the ideal way to get the best out of Cody Royal. You know, I, I, I know you well enough that I would then know how to kind of call you out or ask you for more in the mm-hmm. way that suits you. But if I didn't know you, I'd maybe think, I, I scream at you, you know, and 
that's not going to get a reaction. You're just going to go into your shell. You don't want to listen. Or it might be the arm around the shoulder and a guy that needs the, the, the rollicking and he's, you know, a bit of a verbal tongue lash. So you, you have to be specific with that. And, and again, you stress, this is for the good of the team. This is to win. We mm -hmm. want to win. We need to win. Yeah. Sport is about winning. The only way we can win is by being able to point the finger, making each other accountable for that success. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the, the really interesting thing. And again, you know, I keep saying the same message as well. This is why I love this space because we can learn yeah. so much and we can take a lot of the things that we do on the field and apply them elsewhere. And it's about, yeah, getting to know who's on your team. And there's a, a really good Casper Schmeichel interview that he did with Players Tribune where he talks about this and he's, you know, he, he specifically says, he's like, I know how to talk to... Danny Simpson in the way that he needs to be talked to and Wes Morgan the way that he needs to be. And, you know, yeah. there's there's 100,000 people in the stadium, so I better be really good. It's not like we're sitting in the boardroom and there's plenty of time and, you know, there's 100,000 people yeah. sitting there screaming and you've got a, a short second to deliver a message. Yeah. And, you know, he needs to be on in terms of motivating those guys and, and knowing what's going to get the reaction from from all those guys. and. We need to put more focus on that in terms of the other relationships that we're developing, like in the workplace, even with our families. Yeah. Finding out how we can, uh, you know, get performance out yeah. of, you know, if, and if it's your, your wife or your husband or yeah. there's ways of doing that too. Of it's, course, your kids as well, the way you speak to them, the way that you challenge them to, you know, sort of grow up or become better men or, or women, you know, that's that's absolutely key as well. And um, I, I just think it's communication to, to, to find a way to to kind of know what makes them tick, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was, back to that Leicester squad, was was a real key to their success that there was, there's probably not been a better example of, of teamwork and sport in 100 years. I mean, talk about overachieving and overperforming, you know, and sure. so how does that happen? You know, we, we go into that, you know, do people just peak at the right time? No, it's, it's about the right group at the right time with the right leader, you know, and, and I just think in the right uh, circumstance, of course, you know. Yeah. But a great example of uh, the, the team was, you know, better, you know, no individual was, what's to say, I'm going to get it wrong, the sum of the parts, you know. The, yeah. The, yeah. The, it was a great example, Danny Simpson, uh, no disrespect, the loads of guys I played against, Wes Morgan, uh, guys that I knew throughout the years, um, had been... Basically, low Premier League championship players. All of a sudden, they're, they're winning the Premier League. They're beating Chelsea, Manchester United, right. Manchester City to that title, and and overperforming to a level that they guys. There's a bit in uh, Living with Lions, a documentary on on the Lions tour of South Africa in '97, and um, I can't remember if it's Telfer or or McGeekin, but one one of the coaches. Amazing documentary for anybody who hasn't watched it. They, they they're talking before one of the tests. And they say, uh, you guys are going to, you know, you're on the edge of history. They said, and what this will be is, you guys are going to walk into each other, bump into each other in 10, 15 years' time. And he says, it'll just be a look. Nothing more will be needed. You'll just have a look and you'll say to each other inside your heads, we did something very, very special. Mm -hmm. And here's the back of my record standing up thinking about that because <laughs> that's what it is, you know. It's like I don't keep in touch with guys that I played with at Sunderland, we achieved success. But if I bump into any of the guys tomorrow, just be a look. When you've achieved with people, yeah, there's nothing greater than that inside feeling of of success and um, all the hard work, all the arguments, all the fights, all the process. 
was important to get there, and, and, and that's what you remember at the end of the day. Yeah. Let's talk about your coaches for a second. We talked about you know Bobby Robson, and yeah. obviously the, the documentary has come out, which is fantastic on Netflix. Uh, exceptional, actually, yeah. I would say. And it's funny how ahead of his time he was with a lot of that stuff, and you know, even something that I didn't know was how much he kind of shaped Alex Ferguson mm-hmm. um, and would have him into training yeah. when he was at Ipswich and, and that man management piece. Um, the leaders that, that you've had, who left that kind of indelible mark on you in terms of you know, how you chose to lead as the captain? Great question. Um, the, the easy, simple answer is all of them. Mm. All of them left a mark on me because um, I'm a guy that, Loves to learn, loves to learn from people. And I was always like that, and I'm still like that. I'm still learning. We're always learning, in my opinion. And so all of them had uh, uh, you know, varying degrees of positive and negative impacts on the way that I wanted to lead. And, and, and I try and live my life as a, as a professional soccer player, now as a, uh, you know, a businessman or as a broadcast, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. This is why we, we agree on this. It's, it's so vital that these same theories and ideas just translate to any walk in any form of life and uh, and so they all had a huge effect and the story that you reference about Bobby Robson is uh, is incredible about Sir Alex going down there when he was still managing in Scotland and Bobby bringing him in and mm-hmm. uh, I have one of my own personal ones that I heard years and years ago and it, it was in regards to Sven Goran Eriksson so he was coaching in Sweden at the time and he wanted to come and visit Bobby at Ipswich and Bobby's like, Sven Gorn nobody at the time. Mm-hmm. He's literally a coach in Sweden. And and Bobby brings him in um to training. And so he's training and he you know, he's got him right beside him. Sven can't believe it. He's like, This is incredible. And so um the next day the game's coming and, and Bobby says, Are you coming to the game, Sven? He's like, Yeah, sure, maybe I got a ticket and it's like no, come and sit on the bench beside me. <laughs> Back in the day when that was possible. Right. And Sven's like, really? And he's like, yeah, you can see me at close hand and you can sit beside me on a bench and see when I make decisions. And yeah. so, you know, is there any better example of sort of collaboration and learning and bringing young coaches into the environment? You know, not having that paranoia like, well, my ideas are really, you know, I'm going to keep them to myself and, no, he wants everybody to know because he has that confidence in who he is as a man and who he is as a coach. And what happens is Sven goes to Benfica and Lazio and England. And so when he's at England, Bobby and him are in close relations again because there's Cairn Dyer and whoever yeah. are playing for England. And so whatever Bobby needs from Sven, Sven's, you know... Grateful to him for the rest of the time. He, of course. So it's something that he did 15, 20 years before has such an impact on later. And if you live your life with that kind of mindset, uh, you know, good things happen to you. You're a good person, good things happen to you. I, I really believe that. And and Bobby was one of the guys, Mick McCarthy, uh, Chris Hutton's one of my favourites. Accountability in that dressing room. Scary man as well. Someone you think right. quiet and reserved. No, he saved it for that time when he had to lose it. I've heard you talk about this actually in one of your podcasts. If you're screaming and screaming, then, you know, in one ear and out the other. But if you're a guy who is normally quite mellow and, and, and calm, and then you scream when you need to, mm-hmm. everybody's like, oh my, is this at me? You know, am I, am I the one in the wrong? And it has such an impact. Yeah. Yeah, there's an artistry to it, yeah. for sure. Uh, when to bring it out yeah. and, and when you crack the whip. And yeah, it's... Uh, 
I, I talk a lot about the idea of it's not, you know, carrot or stick, it's carrot and stick. Yeah, I agree. And, and there's got to be a motivational piece to it, but there's also got to be a stick. And um, both work. Yeah. You can't just use one or the other. It's, it's got to be both. And I agree. And I think that um, you have to be very unselfish with, with how you deliver it. Because it's, it, I'll try and explain this better, but as a leader or as a, a as a captain or as a, a head coach, I've heard this from my brother, uh, Ian Carl Robinson. My, my, my brother Gary was coach at Wigan and Chesterfield. Now he's at Partick Thistle. And Carl Robinson was Vancouver Whitecaps, a very good friend of mine. But So you want to go in and, and blast the guys. You know, you're, you're angry. You've seen things. You know, it's a frustrating thing to stand at say, especially when you've did it for 15, 20 years. But, you've got to do what's best for the group at that time, not what's best for you, not what allows you to let off your steam or or maybe you're you're reluctant to go in there and blast them because you, you're maybe not that kind of character. You need to find that in yourself because if you don't have both sides to that that um, that the level of teaching or that way of teaching, then you're never going to uh, understand what they need at that time, you know? And so yes. I, I think it's very important that you're, you're a cerebral guy, you think, okay, this this is a blast. I know I can get more out of these guys, and I know I need to call them out in it. Or they're actually vulnerable today, and I need to get more. This is a bit of the guys, we're, we're nearly there, you know, we, we just need a little bit, you know, yeah. and it's a bit more of a, a softly, softly. And the best managers are masters at that, Cody. They're, they're so good at it, and, and they sort of take away your fears and anxieties at the most important time so you can go and perform. Exactly, yeah. And the funny thing is, is that players know that they've messed up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't need someone else. And, and, and this is why, I, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff because it's the same, again, in the workplace. Like when the team doesn't deliver yeah. and they don't win that contract, they know that. Yeah. You don't need to tell them. It's about, yeah, how do we go again? How do we get the next one? And so, yeah, hauling them over the coals just because. Yeah. Just because it makes you feel better. Uh, you know, that that kind of old world militaristic style yeah. leadership is done. Like I think so. Yeah. There's so many people that, that feel they need to lead like that, don't they though? Yeah. You know, CEOs that feel that they need to be that aggressive guy and they need to be seen as tough and right. and sort of I, I just I detest that. I just think it's so old school and, and, and it's not me, so I would never lead like that. If I ever got to a position with any company in the world, uh, I would never lead like that. I would lead in the style of me, and that that's another important uh, point here. You need to be authentic to yourself. You need to do what's right. right. Yes, you're going to have to find you know, ways of delivering it that's not in your personality. You, you need to be somewhat malleable, but it, it needs to like be you. It needs to sort of resonate with you because it will just become too false and... A squad, I call them a squad, a, a group, a team of players are uh, are, are more intelligent than, than anything you've ever... They, they pick up on the slightest things. Yeah. If manager's anxious, manager's anxious today, he's worried about this game. All of a sudden, guess what? 15, 20 guys are worried about the game. If the manager's confident, oh, he thinks we're, we're going to win this or we're going to get out of this. Yeah. What happens is you, you go and win it. They give you such... A squad is the personality of the leader, you know, a squad of players. It's it's so true, and I've saw it so many times, and uh, I think back to the personality of, of uh, Roberto Martinez and Bobby Robson and Mick McCarthy and 
Chris Hewton, Roy Keane even, every guy, good and bad, great managers that I've had, not so great managers, we always kind of played like the manager, played <laughs> yeah. like his personality and yeah. it just shows you the impact that they have on, on the team. That's it. And and that's so true. Again, you know, and I've had a couple of conversations on this podcast about, uh, yeah, the um, how much a group of a team mirrors the leader and, yeah. and what you've just talked about there. And uh, again, that that's the same when we go to work. Yeah. When when you're in there mopping up after a coffee spill, you know, and, and people are arriving at work and you know down your hands and knees, they know that you're going to go to the next level for them. Yeah. If you're sitting there in your ivory tower and you don't come out until lunchtime and then you just go and have lunch with the C-suite yeah. and, and no one ever gets to see you and talk to you, they're going to act that way. Absolutely. And and they're not going to develop respect for you. So yeah, there's it's there's a thing called emotional contagion, mm-hmm. which is, is what we're talking about here. If I'm up and I'm confident and I'm confident that we're going to win... Everyone grabs onto that. Yeah, it's so powerful. It is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love your point. You know, you got to roll up your sleeves sometimes and, and and get in there with the with the with the troops. You know, with the with the employees. That that's the thing. That's who you are. That's how you started as well. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. remember where where you started. You know, most guys were. You know, in, in my world were youth team soccer players David yeah. Beckham was a youth team soccer player. Right. He went on loan to Preston. You know, and he became. <laughs> the biggest football star in, in the entire world. He still is, really. Right. Uh, Messi started somewhere small. And the ones that have that mentality that always reference back to that, you know, when I first visited Sir Alex Ferguson at, at um, the cliff in the days where Manchester United used to train, it was an iconic old training ground. And uh, I got the opportunity, I was 11 years old, got the opportunity to go upstairs and, and speak with him. I was shaking, you know, I was so excited <laughs> and nervous. <laughs> And I get there, I'll never forget it, just plain normal door. It wasn't the salubrious training grounds that we see these days. And on his door, he, he had, uh, you know, his name and he had uh, a quote saying, I'm still the man for Govan. I'll never forget it. Govan's a suburb of Glasgow. It's where he grew up. It's um, it's uh, ship, uh, fight, you know, um, on the clay, they, they build the ships and stuff like that. So it's yeah. real hardcore working class and it's on his door because it's everything who he is as a guy you know it's it's Love that. it's amazing and you go inside and he knows your name and so yeah, I'm 11 years old I'm, I'm you know playing in Scotland at a youth team level but the personalization that he brings to that interaction is absolutely vital it's 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 so inspiring what do you do you leave that office you're 10 foot tall you go back to your club you it gives you that you know that drive and determination and uh, he did that with hundreds and hundreds. Of, I could tell a million stories, d- driving to Darren Fletcher's house and waiting. You know, basically not leaving until he signed. Sixteen, fifteen, right. played hundreds of games for Manchester United. You know, and and the reason that they guys, you never hear one of the guys speak bad of Alex Ferguson. Never one of them, no. because he, he put in the work. He, he put in the. He got to know them. Right. Their dads, their mums, their family, everything about them. He cared. He actually cared, and not for his benefit, just because he's still the guy for Govan. He's still, that's his core. That's the core of the man, and that's why he was one of the best leaders in, in football history. Yeah. The part of Class of 92 that stuck out to me was when Ryan Giggs goes back to where he grew up playing yeah. in Salford and he's on the field 
And he's like, this is the place that Sir Alex first came to watch me play. And it's just this like desolate field in you know, the outskirts of Manchester or whatever. But you're sitting there thinking, why the hell is Alex Ferguson down there mm-hmm. you know, watching this 11-year-old kid run around? And that's it. That was why. Yeah. And you know, going back to the point that we, we kind of started with in terms of getting to know people, there's so much that we can get out of just those interactions over time. And it's one of the things that I think is, is gonna, we're going to start missing out on with you know, remote work yeah. where we don't get to have those conversations and you know, you're not going to be able to find out the, the person's mother's name or the, the husband and wife's name or the, the kids' names because it's just going to be very task-based. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about that. I am. I am. And, and it's such a global world, isn't it? You know, like this podcast wouldn't be as good if we weren't sitting across from each other. Right. Because we're feeding off each other. We're, we're, we're inspiring each other to come up with, you know, the, the things that are going on in our head. If we were across a phone and, you know, I'm in my apartment or I'm somewhere else, I'm, I'm fiddling around. I'm not really engaged in the conversation. So you got to get sit across for somebody. you got to look them in the eye and have an actual conversation. Yeah. Put your phone away. We're all guilty of having our phones out way too much, but put your phone away, sit down with somebody, sit down with, with somebody that you work with, or if you're the boss, sit down with, with somebody that, that sort of works for you or, or with you and just have a conversation. It might be about business. It might just be about the Leafs. Find the thing. I have so many conversations, or I did as a captain, I still do, on things that I am not interested in. I have conversations with my 10, 11 year olds about Fortnite. Right. I detest that game, you know, <laughs> but they love it. Right. And, and to That's see all their that eyes light up yeah. and they're talking to their dad, you know, as dads, as parents, we're trying to find ways to connect. We're kids. That's the, the, the biggest thing in life for us. <laughs> and so if it's Fortnite, it's Fortnite, you know. Yeah. I wish it was maths homework, but realistically, it's Fortnite. And yeah. and so to see him tell me, "Oh, I can get this skin," and I'm going to, I'm saying words that I don't even really know, but things that are important to him, and and that's the the key to communication. That it's it's not about you. I'm not waiting on my chat. When you're speaking to me here, we're having a conversation. I'm not waiting on my chance to speak. I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm trying to feed off that, uh, you know, uh, inspiration, basically. Right. Do you know one of the most powerful things you can say to someone is, can you teach me how that works? Yeah. If you said that to your kid, imagine his reaction. Yeah. And and it's, again, it's it's the same in a workplace. It doesn't, you don't need to be interested in what they're interested Mm -hmm. in, but can you teach me how that works? Or why do you love this band? Like, what is it about their music? Like, teach me about that. And that's the empathy side of things. It doesn't matter that you like it or not. No. It matters that they like it. Yeah. And, and that, they're the sort of nuanced things about leadership that, you know, this new wave of leaders, they're the yeah. ones that pick up on that stuff. Yeah. And, and they don't care that it's not a hobby of theirs. No, it's, it's the intuition, isn't it, to, to pick up on that and, right. and, and see that as an opportunity to, to again, learn about the person and, and, and find out what makes them tick, you right. know, because that's the way you, you, you're going to get better results out of their performance, you know. So that that's a, a huge thing. I agree with you. It's it's uh, brilliant to watch somebody speak passionately about it. My friends laugh at me, so some of this is a stupid little thing. But if somebody tells me about one song, I download the album. So it gets to the point where I'm on shuffle in my car. I'm like, I have no idea what this song is, you know? But I've, you know, downloaded you know you don't Camilla have to do that Cabello, anymore, right? you know? Because <laughs> one song was good. and But I think that's important because... That's how we grow and learn in life. You know, you, you, yeah. you see one thing or you read about one thing, so you go and 
dive into the work of Bob Dylan. You know, when I was a kid, I loved the Stones, I loved Dylan, I loved the old music. And it started with one song, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get the greatest hits. And then all of a sudden, I'm into an album. And next thing I know, I know, you know, tons about a group that were basically in their prime before I was even born, you know. But mm-hmm. that's that's uh, that learning mindset again. I keep getting back to it. If you're inquisitive and, and you're, you have a thirst for knowledge, then you know, you're passionate, you dive into that one thing, you take it on, you learn about it, and then you move to the next thing and and, and you become a more rounded person. Absolutely. And a more rounded leader because now you can talk to them about that thing and and it can actually lead to the conversation, the hard conversations about performance. Just using that thing, Bob Dylan, now becomes the the thing that we can both talk about and that might actually allow us to sit down and talk about how you're struggling a little bit, like, you know, there's a documentary when Bob Dylan can't write songs anymore, whatever it is, like yeah. there'll be some sort of tidbit in there. Um, I want to ask you this though. Now in your role as an analyst, uh, you watch a lot of football. Who who are the the leaders, the coaches that are doing this well now for you? Yeah. That you look at them and go, wow, I would love to play for that guy. And it doesn't need to yeah. be the Guardiolas of the yeah, world. Yeah, I know. And it's hard not to get, you know, really kind of, uh, what's the word? I mean, there's no doubt Guardiola and Klopp are magnificent leaders, and you know uh, the kind of usual faces that, that have real success. But um, it's hard not to get you know seduced by the guys. But for me, I think my favourite now. Uh, a few examples. My, my favourite's Pochettino. Right. And I know he's hot right now, and everybody's saying he's going to go to Manchester United. But I said Manchester United should have got Pochettino before Mourinho. And that was when he was, you know, a, a year or two into Spurs, maybe. Um, he was, he did a great job at Southampton. But I just saw someone in the guy that was just such confidence in the way that he, he, he leads. Um, yes. The confidence comes from an incredible knowledge of the game or how he wants the game to be played and, and undoubted uh, commitment to that. So, so again... Uh, if we're thinking, let's pick, you know, Guardiola, Klopp, Pochettino, um, even Mourinho until this last spell. Undoubted belief in their style of play, tick, you know, that that's, you can't doubt that. You can't doubt playing it for the back. You doubt it once, your players doubt it forever. Yeah. And so when times get tough, what do they do? They'll kick it up the park. So you've got to be really consistent with that. I know that through Roberto Martinez, another guy who loves to play it for the back. He was the same, you know, you, you, you don't, waver from that but what I love most about Pochettino is that and I don't know him personally and I don't actually know any players that, that play for him so this this is just my opinion and I, I'll, I'll bet I'm pretty close to really accurate he's a, he's a quiet leader he's a confident leader I'll bet he takes two sentences a day to you know Deli Alley or, or Son or Ericsson or Harry Winks I'll bet that every player within that club feels that he's the guy to you know progress their career. He's the man. Whether they're playing every week or some weeks, I'll bet he says the right thing at the right time, just quietly in a corner, yeah. doesn't make a big fuss about it, and then puts him out there with that confidence to go and perform. And, and the other thing that's very impressive about uh, Pochettino as a leader is that every player, and I challenge you to think of one that hasn't, and, and the one that I'm always like, is Sissoko the, the French international mm-hmm. every player that signed and came through him or, or been part of his his time at Spurs has improved has took their game on to another level has him to thank for 
uh, developing, improving their career. Mm-hmm. Every single player. What a thing that is to say. Now, you know, I mentioned Mourinho, who was a magnificent manager for 20 years, still is, but guys underperforming, guys not getting better because his ego has become too big. You know, he's became too much. He's become larger than Jose Mourinho. Yes. Whereas Pochettino still, through that quiet confidence, is just, he knows his role. He's to prepare them and put them out there and make them confident to go and uh, perform. And he does it. And that's what he wants to be. Mourinho wants to like gloat in the glory. And so that that to me is a key. That's that's leadership that I admire. That kind of quiet, confident, cerebral thinker that, that Pochettino is. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's always struck me that way. I, I would hesitate a guess to say that you're exactly right. Yeah. And the one, my answer is Eddie Howe. Great. And it's for similar reasons in that, I think it was a, a BBC article about how he won't start training until he said hello to everyone. Mm-hmm. As soon as I read that, I shut the window, didn't read the rest of it, didn't need to. Yeah. That's that's the golden ticket right there. Exactly. So simple. We're not starting until I've said hello to everyone. Yeah. As a leader. So simple. Yeah. It doesn't need to be complicated either. No, it doesn't. And and <laughs> and, and that that's worked from this is a, a club that were literally going out of league football when he went back there mm-hmm. for the second stint and now in the Premier League. It yeah. works, you know, for uh, players at the, at the bottom yeah. end and players at the top end. Yeah, because it's respect, isn't it? It's totally. having respect for for your team, you know, for the guys that you're leading. And, and, and that's a crucial aspect of uh, great leaders, that, that respect for everybody, respect that uh, it's difficult for a guy who's not playing a lot, you know... I, you can only pick 11 players, so you, you have to be strong, you have to do the right thing for the team, but you respect what that guy's going through because you've been there. You've, you've Most people in the world have been sub, they've been at the team, they've <laughs> been rejected, they're, you know, they're maybe lucky enough to have won some and they've been their captain, or but they've went through every side of that, so then you become a, a boss of 25 guys and you're the same thing. You, you know what they're going through, so... To, to have that, uh, that empathy to go over to that guy who's not played for six games and say, yeah. I know it's tough, just keep giving me it in training. I, I need this because guess what? What you're giving us in training is inspiring Harry Kane and, and these guys because he knows you're behind and he knows he has to perform, otherwise he's going to be at the team. Right. So you're inspiring them and, and I'm, I'm seeing you. I promise you, I'm seeing you. You're going to get your chance. You're going to get a chance soon. I promise you that. You know, and so... He gets a little bit of something. You're, you're not buttoning up. You're not telling him lies, you know, but you're, you're giving him that inner strength to keep to keep going and, and, and to, to perform. And that to me, Eddie Howe looks like a guy that does that really well also. Um, I yeah. know guys that work with Eddie at Burnley when he was a little bit younger. Yeah. And Burnley maybe wasn't quite the right team for him at that time. But uh, again, he took what he learned from that experience and went back to Bournemouth, a far better manager because... He went away and, you know, he dealt with some more experienced players and, you know, in, in a different kind of setting and a completely different club and a completely different part of the world. But I felt like, again, he, he, he took that, uh, he learnt from that and he went back to Bournemouth, a, a way better manager. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've read about him that he almost didn't want to take that job, but he had to at the yeah. time because he would have been seen as lacking ambition. Mm-hmm. 
and and so yeah it was interesting and then obviously it didn't go as well as he would have hoped but to go back and uh yeah have have that humility to be able to take those lessons and 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 take them back yeah uh for a second stint and then you know there's a reason that that they've uh just gone sky high since he's gone back um one of the things that has started to come into fashion a little bit is coaches who have coaches. Uh-huh. So your your brother's a coach. Yeah. I don't know. Does he have a coach? Does he come to you? Do you coach him? Like, <laughs> how does he unload? Because I think that's that's necessary now as well. Yeah. In terms of uh, being, just having someone, you know, I don't know if I said this correctly. Can you help me a little bit? So someone for coaches to work with. Yeah. Um, I I think he certainly does, but and I think that coaches had that through the history of time. It's, it's just a friend that you respect, you admire, a brother, a, a, you know, an older figure maybe. So, you mm-hmm. know, you have your your network um, harping back to the same things every time. But if you've, if you've been a good pro and you've been a good guy and you've communicated with people, you can pick up the phone to, you know, 20, 30, 100 guys that you respect, you know, um, and say, am I doing this right? You know, give, give me a little bit of help here because, you know, you can't... You can't really go and ask one of your players. You, you know, you've got to be seen as in control. So, so it's usually out with the club where where you would go there. And him and I speak nearly every single day about football. We have similar mindsets. Um, we challenge each other. We we believe in the same ways to lead and the same ways to kind of play the game. So, we often talk about what that looks like. You know, mm-hmm. um, but a thing that comes up with us quite a lot is. Um, you think something, you have a feeling about a player or about a formation, and it's maybe a bit controversial. Or it, you know, it takes real guts to do it, um, yeah. and you're like, mm, and you wait, and a month goes by or five months goes by, and you were right six months later. You know, so it's that sort of gut feeling, you know, and not not gut feeling because there's any kind of personal side to it, but it's. You know this guy's hurting the team, you know. Get rid of him. Put him out. He's got to go, you know, because he's a real danger to the harmony and, and everything that you're building within that squad. Uh, and if you think it, if you have a feeling that you're, you're accurate in that, you need to get it done, you know. And uh, the, the, one of the great stories in that for me is Guardiola at, at Barcelona with, with Eto. Mm-hmm. He scored 30 some goals. He was a top scorer. And he pulled him into his office and he said, I'm selling you to Inter Milan, I think it was. And he went, what do you mean? I'm the top scorer. And he's like, I just got a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't even really explain it to him. But he knew that it was uh, restricted Messi, which was the most important thing for that team. <laughs> right. And he knew he was a great player, but he knew he was a little bit difficult and he was starting to become a wee bit big for his boots. And so... He just sensed, I need to get him out of the club, no matter how good he is. He sells him to Inter Milan. He went to Inter Milan. He had a fantastic career at Inter Milan. He was a brilliant player, but he wasn't right for that club. So uh, it's, again, back to you're in your workplace. If if you know somebody's negative and they're not buying into uh, your, your way of working, your theory, the, the thing that's really been agreed upon with the group, they've got to go. They need yeah. to go. You need to be ruthless. That's when you need to show your ruthless side and say, I don't care what it's going to take, is it a payoff package, whatever it is, you're out because you're you're stopping this team from uh, performing at a very high level. Yeah. 
it's funny actually in in reconfirming those team goals, and this is why it needs to be a daily activity. Is those team goals are going to change over time? But it's funny how even by reiterating them or even identifying them, what ends up happening is sometimes those people will actually self-select out. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. If you're not putting the, the goals of the team in front of the team regularly and saying, are we hitting them? Um, it's easy for people to coast, but when you all have to commit to something and stand in front and look people in the eye and say, we're all doing this together. Yeah. If someone's not involved and doesn't want to, to hit that goal with you, often they'll just go, you know what? This place isn't for me. Yeah. I'll move on. Yeah. But they're keen to get out, aren't they? You know, right? So it's not even a case, uh, you know, they're clinging on with their fingernails. They're normally the ones that are saying, "Yeah, let me go because I don't like this environment. This is too challenging for me." Right? Yeah, but unless you're uh, again doing, you know, taking the time to, you know, it's, I use the the analogy of, uh, you know, mowing the lawn and, and you know taking care of your, your front lawn. Yeah. It's, you've got to do it every day and yeah. and it's no point looking next door and seeing how green you know Trevor's grass is next door because you can't impact that yeah. it's like you know my goal is to get my grass as green as possible and you just got to tend the lawn day after day after day yeah and, and give it what it needs yeah but and that's a great example because everybody hates mowing the lawn really don't they but it's it's a necessity right and soccer and life and business and everything as a grind, it's a grind. The majority of the times, as a grind, it's not, uh, you know, the winning the cups and the celebrating and you know the, the open top bus through the city and that. <laughs> it's, it's the grind. But did you have an open top bus, Sunderland or Burnley? I did. I had an open top bus at Burnley. There was more people in Burnley that day than actually lived in Burnley. <laughs> it was a phenomenal experience, and uh, you know, I wasn't even. Ugh, it sort of felt like a burden at the time, and I'm. I'm Sad that I say that, but I can remember my feelings. And uh, one of the greatest days of my life to see the people on the streets and the faces is is an incredible experience. Town hall, and you know, you, you eventually get there, and it's an amazing experience. But the open top bus, the lifting the trophy at Wembley, the walking the steps, it's great. It really is great. But when I think back to that season or other successful seasons, it's the process. It's yeah. Getting in my car one night and maybe it was November, obviously Wembley ended, you know, the end of May with a success at uh, the playoff final for Burnley. But it was in November, 4.30, I used to drive 50-something miles to get to, to Turf Moor. I lived in the east side of Manchester, so I had to leave early. And I'm in my car and I just got this feeling of euphoria. I'm like, something special's happening here, you know? And, and we were like eighth or ninth or you know it wasn't like we were flying high at the top and it was very clear we had you know this five ten million pound player or that we were just a bunch of ragtime i always say none of us chose to go to burnley we got like banished to burnley you know <laughs> in different levels of that where you're getting old or you know you were a young guy who played in the lower leagues you don't choose to go to burnley <laughs> You get there because, you know, back then, you, that was where you, you had to go. <laughs> and so you either do one of two things. You roll your sleeves up and you say, what's it take to play for Burnley? What do these guys and women and kids in the stand want to see? They want to see heart. They want to see effort. They want to see commitment. And they want you to get their bums off their seats, right? Last one's hard. The other ones are not hard. Mm-hmm. How's that hard? No. Well, fit as a fiddle. 25, 26-year-old, 30-year-old guys, fit as you can be. 
run hard, work hard. Like, it's simple. That's why I got such um, a great feeling. I've got so much respect for the opportunity I had to play for teams like that because the criteria was so simple to me. <laughs> you know, uh, the greatest story I ever heard, and i never forget it, and I'm glad that it was always in the back of my mind every, every single day I trained and played for Newcastle. When my mentor was a guy called Tommy Craig, he was a Scottish um, left midfielder, brilliant player, played for Aberdeen and Sheffield Wednesday in Newcastle. So uh, Villa, that's the Villa as well. Tommy was my reserve team manager. Mm -hmm. So Tommy used to tell this story all the time and I, I never forgot it and it was so special to me. His first day at St James's Park when he just signed for Newcastle back in 1970-something, he was walking up the famous steps and you know it was a lot smaller then, but it was the same front steps into the main stand and there's a the great Jackie Melbourne the, the greatest player in uh, Newcastle history mm -hmm. even bigger than Alan Shearer Jackie Melbourne War Jackie is what we used to call him is the epitome of Newcastle United Jackie's coming out and Tommy's there and he gets introduced and he has that feeling like I said earlier when I met Sir Alex it's Jackie Melbourne it's oh, the man and Jackie just pulls him to the side and he says, good luck, son. He looks him in the eye and he says, show them you care. And he said, it was so simple. Yeah. Just show them I care. So I thundered into tackles and I played passes, you know, and the fans, Newcastle fans, love that type of player. And so um, I forget the original point that I'm on. I went off one of my stories, but that's the key, you know, just rolling up your sleeves, getting to a club, going through the process of the everyday sitting in your car in November going this is going to be special Wembley's great and the open top bus is great but it's the process that I remember it's the every the yeah. steps along the way the three defeats in a row when people were doubting and we had our you know crisis meeting and we're in the room and we come up with solutions in that room in early January that allow us to end up at Wembley you know they're the things that I remember yeah absolutely and it's funny that that's such a consistent story, not just with athletes, yeah. but in people. It's it's the yeah the the process, like you said. Um, how we kind of round up all of these episodes is uh, I ask what you're kind of intellectually uh, stimulated by at the moment. Like what's mm -hmm. fascinating you? Not necessarily football, but yeah. Like you're a lifelong learner. Uh -huh. What are you looking at at the moment? Going, oh my god, I never knew anything about this, but it's it's yeah. really cool. Um. Great question. Kind of hard one to answer on the spot. I am um, obsessed and consumed by football, <laughs> unfortunately. I wish there was uh, That's still a good answer. more diverse, but <laughs> I really am. And, and, and I, I live it. We talked earlier, it's your life. I live it. I live football. I wake up and um, I'd like to have a deep knowledge of every sport, everything, every new coach, just try and be on the button with, with everything for my job, but just because I am so passionate about it. So so that that's kind of the easy answer. But really the subject of this podcast, what we're chatting about, is fascinating to me. So uh, leadership is about communication, collaboration, and it's about... To, to be successful as a team, it's about recruitment, good recruitment. So I am obsessed with recruitment. I'm obsessed with recruitment in my profession, which is soccer, but mm -hmm. it can relate to anything. And I'm going to try and explain it. So recruitment is about bringing the best group of people together to achieve. It's not about who's the best mathematician, he must be the right guy. It's about 
who's the best pers- personality and mathematician or who's the best right winger, hard worker that'll fit in with, you know, the system or the, 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 show the them type. They care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So recruitment is vital. And back to Manchester United, they've got it wrong for years. And back to Tottenham, they've got it absolutely right for years. So uh, it's not just, to me, what's makes me passionate, what the answer I'm trying to get to is, yes, recruitment, but not just my eye, you know. Is there a formula? Can we come up with some kind of system mm-hmm. that means when I die or I'm too tired to be at that game, if I'm the guy, can we come up with something that's that's unique to our club or our business or our job? Is there a formula? Is there a, a, an analytical way of looking at that? And that is, to me... The million dollar question. I don't know the answer to it, Cody. I don't know if there is. I don't know if it's just that one guy was so smart at picking the players or if there is a formula to the ideal player for Burnley Football Club. Certain people can't play for Burnley. Certain people can't play for Manchester United. Can't play for Celtic. They can't mm-hmm. wear number nine for Newcastle. It's too much for them. Yeah. Just, they might be the greatest striker. They might go and play for Real Madrid. Can't play for Newcastle because they don't know what it takes. So can we... Can we find a way that's unique to that club to recruit beyond Stephen Caldwell or Cody Royal or, you know, Sean Dyche, Pep Guardiola? That would be amazing. That's what I'm always uh, striving to do. Yeah, well, we did an episode with Ben Darwin, who's a former Wallaby, um, played like 26 times for Australia, right. and he's right in the middle of that now and trying to you know decode uh-huh. cohesion and what that actually means and that's fascinating you know, does it have an impact on recruitment and and how does it evolve over time because you know there's there's a certain element of moment in timeness to it like yeah. our Leicester example one year later that never happens never yeah. happens and so yeah I, hey this is why we get along so well yeah but um i'm fascinated by that stuff too and and hence uh hence the podcast but uh Let's wrap things up here, mate. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they follow along with you? Yeah, I, I'm on most social platforms, uh, Twitter, Steve O'Caldwell, uh, Instagram, I think it's the same, but easy to find. Uh, yeah, and, and obviously LinkedIn and that, and, you know, trying to just, you know, it's, it's something that is important to me is, is, is trying to spread my experiences, things that I've learned, so... You know, been doing a little bit of speaking with, with a great friend of mine, a woman called Nancy Spotton, who's mm-hmm. such an inspiration. You and I have, have, have spent some time with her, and uh, and and you know, she's she's amazing. So we, we do a presentation called Eleven Habits of Champion Teams," um, and I love it. Learning mindsets in there, will to win, uh, leverage other strengths, a lot of things that we talked about in this, uh, you know, in this podcast, and. Um, again, it's a way of living. It's you know I'm not here to try and promote that and say you should book me. This is a way of living. This is just telling people that this is like you don't just pick this up. You don't listen to someone for an hour and go like oh that's fantastic and then you're a great leader. You, you, you right. need to like buy in and it's it's like a religion. You need to believe in it and and, and truly believe because if you believe, you've got a chance. Uh, you know allowing your your team to believe. If you don't believe, they'll never buy into it. So. Yeah, I'm doing doing a lot of work with that. Loving it. I love our collaborations together. Just to me, um, it took me a while to realise what I missed from playing soccer. Mm. It wasn't kicking the ball. It wasn't even the. I thought it was the pressure, the anxiety, the 
the stuff that I hated when I played. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a few years and I realised that the thing that I missed was team, was yeah. working on something with people who are just as passionate about that uh, subject as me and seeing what we can do, seeing what greatness can come. And uh, you can't, well, I can't achieve greatness on my own. I need to be in a room with people that I respect and, and that uh, stimulate me. And so that's what I'm looking for in life now. Yeah, absolutely. You and me both. And uh, yeah, I've I've obviously seen your, your presentation and it's packed with gold. So I would say to anyone that's listening, do book you to, to come and <laughs> Thank speak. Thank you. Um, awesome, mate. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, in. Mate. Again, you're the only one that's been in studio. So very special of, of the 15 episodes we've done. So Brilliant. appreciate Thanks. that. No, it's great. And uh, yeah, they're packed with... Uh, lots of takeaways for everyone as well. So thanks, mate, and um, let's have a beer. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. It was a pleasure. Cheers. At this stage of the show, most podcasts will ask you to go and leave a five-star rating. But if you're going to go somewhere, I'd rather you go and check out Athletic Greens. If you follow me on social media, you'll see me doing two things, exercising and traveling. At my last checkup, my doctor told me I had the lowest cholesterol she'd ever seen but I was crucially low in a whole range of vitamins and minerals that I'd never heard of. And as a result, my hair was in terrible shape. I went looking for the best all-in-one solution I could find, and I landed on Athletic Greens. I found it an easy habit to get on board with. A simple routine of one scoop in some cold water every morning before I have breakfast, and I have all my bases covered. And now, my hair is back to normal. And if you still don't believe me, I'm an Australian promoting a product created by a New Zealander, so you know I'm not joking around. I can't stress this enough. Jump over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody and claim your special offer today. Five free travel packs with your first purchase. athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody. The Where Others Won't podcast is recorded at Apollo Studios in downtown Toronto and is produced and edited by Adam Esker. You can book me to speak by the Where Others Won't Book or send me an email at codyroyal.com.